Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. So today is a new day, an exciting day, maybe an anxious day for some, but a new day nonetheless. So one of the things that always is kind of the question when a new preacher comes, whether it's a question to that preacher or or in an interview or something, there's always the question or, or the wonder of what are you going to do to help us grow? What are you going to do to help us grow? That, that's what we kind of think is, is the preacher's job in a lot of ways. It's their job to facilitate, to create the opportunities for us to grow. In every place I've ever been, I've always had a very similar conversation of at one time we were this size and our numbers are down from what they were. We want to go back to where we were when the numbers were great and everything was rocking along in a great way. Well, uh, there's something really interesting as you study the Word of God. Now, I don't want to get fired on my first Sunday with this, but I'm going to share, you, share, you some, share something with you that, that I've learned in my studies is did you know that nowhere in the Word of God are we commanded to grow our individual congregations? Did you know that? Now, we, and everybody's looking at me funny, like, well, what in the world is he talking about? We are commanded to grow the kingdom of God. But never is there a mandate to grow your individual congregation. You can have a congregation. Matter of fact, I read a book not too long ago called The Small Church Handbook. And he talked about how their congregation had never been more than 150 members. But what they would do is they would baptize new Christians, they would train them, and then they would send them out to different places and start new congregations. The the core congregation there never grew over 150 people. But you know what they did? What they made a habit of? Of growing the kingdom of God. And so the question is always, what are we going to do to grow? How are you going to help us grow? I want you to know up front... That my job is not to come in here and help us grow. Because even Paul understood that. Paul said his job was to come in and what? To plant. And then Apollos came in and his job was to what? Water. And then he says, God gives the increase. God gives the growth. But now what I do see from Paul's words there is there are certain things we can do to position ourselves to where God's going to look at us and bless us with increase. And that is my goal. My goal is to create an environment at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ that, that positions us in a place where God looks at us and says, you know what they're ready for? They're ready to grow. They're ready to handle new members. They're ready to greet new visitors. They're ready to disciple more young people. And as I look at the Word of God, I ask myself, what has to happen What has to happen for us to position ourselves to be in a place where God says, I'm ready to bless this church? I'm going to share a few things with you, a few things that I think is important when we think about positioning ourselves in a place to be blessed by God. Go with me first to Joshua chapter 24, our scripture reading from this morning. Joshua chapter 24. I have a lot of respect for Joshua because Joshua does something that many people would consider very intimidating. Joshua follows the greatest man in the history of of Israel. His name was what? Moses. 
Moses was the man that delivered them from captivity. He was the man that guided them through the wilderness. He was he, he did so much leading of the people of Israel. And Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he put himself in a position where he didn't receive the greatest blessings of God. And he brings Joshua and he says, you're going to be my next guy. Now in chapter 1, he gives Joshua this challenge. He says, just like Moses, I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. Just just stay where he says, I want you to focus on the word of God. I want you to trust in me. Don't be afraid. Have courage. He tells him what to do to position himself in a, <coughs> excuse me, in a place to be to be blessed by God. And then as Joshua is getting ready to uh, relinquish that control, that command, he calls the people of Israel together and he talks to them about their commitment. Not as a nation, but all, not just as a nation, but also as individuals. You see, if we're going to put ourselves in a position to grow, you personally have to be committed to the cause of Christ. And this is how Joshua puts it, starting in verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 20. Fourteen. I'll get there in a minute. Now, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Look back at verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Here, here's the part I want you to key into for a second. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped. Throw away the gods that are out there that, that are, 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 are begging for your attention, the things that are, are drawing. He, he says, look, God is it. God is ultimate. He is the God that you need to serve and that you need to serve with all of your heart. He says, but there's going to be some other gods in your life that are going to be just as tempting to serve. Has that changed? We have gods that are just as tempting to serve today. They're not physical idols as they were in, in in the day of Joshua but but they come in they come in different shapes and forms they come in the shape of money they come in the shape of technology they come in the shape of sports they come in the shape of of education there are a lot of things that we can chase after and give our life to and be faithful to and and give our heart to and Joshua says those things throw them away don't let them be the center focus of what your purpose is. Make a commitment that this right here, that this church family, that the ministries of this church, that, that the, the growth, if you will, of this church is your number one priority. That everything you do in your life funnels back into serving God and being with His people in some shape, form, or fashion. One of the things that I think is so important, especially especially for my generation and those of you around my age, our lives are so busy. 
Our lives are so busy. How many of you already have your week planned out and you wonder, how am I going to get through it? Any of you this morning, you're already looking at it and going, man, this is a crazy week. There, there, I don't know how I'm going to fit everything into it. Then what happens a lot of times is we live our life, we live our life by our calendars, by our planners, and we have everything planned out, and then we try to fit God into the schedule of everything that's going on. But to be successful as a child of God, to be successful as a Christian, to truly have that personal commitment, you can't just fit God into your schedule. You have to first fit your life into God. Amen? Amen? Okay, just making sure you're still with me this morning. So you have to make that personal commitment to God. Yeah, life's going to be crazy. There's going to be a lot of things that distract you. But when you give that commitment, you put yourself in a situation that you can be blessed by God. Now, let's blow it up a little bit bigger and talk about not just personal commitment, but commitment as a church family. Go with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus is spending some one-on-one time with God. And he's praying to God about the things that are fixing to happen. This is in that time where his prayers are so fervent that his sweat becomes like drops of blood. And we don't have, we don't have a whole lot of insight into what those prayers are. But in verse 17, we get a glimpse. And do you know that as Jesus is getting ready to be marched to the cross, he thinks about you. Let that sink in for a second. As Jesus is getting ready to march to the cross, he thinks about you. And I know that because he says so in this chapter, chapter 17 of John and verse 20. My prayer is not for them, not, is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples that he started praying for in verse 6. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You see, that's where he's praying for you. And this is his prayer, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they, uh, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What's his prayer for us as a church? It's a prayer for what? One word. Unity. It's a prayer for unity. He said it is through our unity that the world, that our community is going to know who Jesus is and what He did for us. There's not a whole lot of preaching that's involved in that statement. It's about the way we live our life. 
Unity is such an important thing. See, Paul tells us that when we become children of God, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit unifies us to each other. It is the Spirit of unity. We are connected to one another through the Spirit of God. We have this undeniable just just connection that cannot be broken. Yet in church life so often, in church life so often, yes, yeah, Sunday morning's important. Being there those four hours a week is important, but the true unity and fellowship that's supposed to exist is usually not as strong. You see, we've created a culture that's about going to church, not being the church. It's very interesting to me that nowhere in Scripture do you ever really read about the church meeting in an air-conditioned church building with comfortable pews, and nice lights, nice sound systems. You know where they met? They met in homes. They met in the temple courts. They met wherever they could gather together. They made it a habit of being in each other's homes and breaking bread with one another. They fellowship with one another. You see, unity comes when we begin to spend time with each other. Now, a, a downside of spending time with each other, and I had a friend say this one time, church family is a lot like real family. Everybody has those family members that your favorite part of seeing them is when they leave. Right? Your favorite part of Christmas is when they're gone. It's like, whew, Aunt Susie is out the door and it is over with. We all have any Christmas vacation fans in, in the room? Any of you? Okay, we all have a Cousin Eddie, right? And if you don't know who Cousin Eddie is in your family, it's probably you, just saying. Um, go with me to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. First John's an amazing book about how we're supposed to love each other. And love is difficult sometimes. But look in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Listen to that again. Whoever does not love does not know who? God. You don't know God. Now, you may say, well, yeah, I love everybody in this room. They're my church family. But do you live your life as if you love them? Do you have a unity? Do you have fellowship with them like you really love them? Or, or do you look at some of the brothers and sisters in here and go, man, my favorite time of Sunday is when they leave. We have to be careful. Unity is a hard thing to accomplish, but it starts with love. It starts with understanding that love is something that we have to have, and without it, we are nothing in Christ. Paul says that love is the greatest thing, the greatest gift that we have. And the very first descriptive word of love in chapter 13 is what? Love is patient. Man, he had to start with an easy one, didn't he? Love is patient. You see, I believe if you get love is patient, everything that follows in 1 Corinthians 13 all falls into place. Because you see, we're going to spend time with each other. and We're going to get on each other's nerves. We're, we're going to kind of get tired of each other. We're going to see the flaws in each other. But he says, hey, when you love each other and you're unified, you're patient 
with each other. You give each other room to grow. You give each other room to be individuals and you love them for it. So as a church, we have to fellowship, love, and be unified. I've also noticed there's not a clock anywhere, so when it's time for me to quit, someone would just get up and leave. We're going to be eating here in a minute, so I'm not going to go much longer. Okay, here's the last thing. As a church, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You're going to hear me use this word a lot in our time together. Today is just the first. You will not hear me. You will hear very few sermons that this isn't brought up because these are the last words of Jesus and he gives us the plan A of how he's going to bless our church and how we're going to put ourselves in a position and there is no plan B and that is discipleship. We have to be a church that is committed to discipling each and every generation from top to bottom. This is why Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, Jesus had the authority to say, hey, everybody bow down and worship me. But he didn't. He said, I have all this authority. Now, I'm giving you guys, and this challenge kind of keeps going down the road, but I'm going to give you guys the challenge to go convince people to love me. That's the most challenging thing of ministry, I believe, is Christianity is a completely voluntary program. Completely voluntary. I can't make you do anything. Jesus isn't going to make you do anything. You have to make your mind up. You have to choose for yourself, as Joshua said, who it is that you're going to serve. I can bring you to the water, but I can't make you drink. And Jesus says, look, it is our job to go out and try to convince people. He says the way you do that is you go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This word discipleship is so important because, you see, discipleship is how Jesus taught. Jesus didn't sit in a, in the front of the classroom with all of his apostles in a desk while they took notes. That's kind of how we kind of have that mentality of teaching. Okay, Jesus never taught really like this, like I'm doing this morning. What Jesus did with his 12 closest friends is he took 12 men and over a three-year period, he discipled them. He lived with them. He taught them on a very personal level. They experienced ministry together. And when they were challenged, he gave them enough enough room to, to grow, but yet he was always there to catch them if they were to fall. When they made mistakes in a loving way, he taught them and encouraged them. It's a very personal one-on-one relationship. Listen, discipleship does not happen on the pew in in the pew on Sunday morning. Doesn't happen. A lot of great worship can, but what we're called to do as Christians first and foremost from God cannot happen. Discipleship happens when you walk out this door. That has to be our main focus. 
Because you see, if we are involved in creating disciples, if I cre- if I'm involved in a discipleship relationship with three or four other guys, what my goal is is to get them to the point to where they can then turn around and disciple three or four other guys, and you're going to end up with this group of disciples that they are used to and encouraging to, and 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 they're just living a life of reaching other people. And that's not just Matthew's idea, that's Jesus' idea. Paul says in Titus that, hey, you older people, reach down and grab some of these younger people and bring them along, teach them. It is how God intends the church to grow, is through discipleship. Now I'm going to give you something this morning that can help you in this idea. We need to be practicing what is called ABC discipleship. Say that with me. ABC discipleship. Now, this is not original to me. Blair went through a class one time, gave me this idea. I loved it, and and I think it's just wonderful. Okay, We should all have someone above us that is discipling us, okay? That's the A. You following me here? We should all have someone above us that is turning around and is ministering to us and helping us come along. That's usually that older person reaching down to someone younger, okay? There's always, there's one person in the building who there is no one older than them, so the rest of us have someone that should, you know, that should be reaching down towards us, okay? The B is someone beside us. There should be someone that is beside us, walking with us, that is usually more or less in the same phase of life as we are. Okay? We're we're, we're parents raising kids at the same age. We're empty nesters working through that phase in the same age. We're retired working through that phase together. They are someone beside you. And then you have your caboose, someone behind you that you are then turned around and reaching and grabbing and discipling and bringing along. Now, when discipleship, when discipleship is truly practiced in the church, number one, people's commitment level goes up. And number two, the unity and fellowship level comes up. So to accomplish personal commitment and church commitment through unity in a more powerful way, we have to practice discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And we're going to. Whether you want to or not. I may say it's voluntary, but we're going to practice it. It is my goal, it is my hope that we become a model church in this principle. You read the beginnings of 1 Thessalonians. As a matter of fact, let's go there. Because this is my prayer for our church family. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. I want people to be able to say this about us. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. I want that to be who we are. You know how we lived among you for your sake. We became imitators. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy, with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. And here it is, verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you 
Not only in Macedonia, the Lord's message rang out from you. I've lost my spot. Verse 7, And you became a model to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I want people everywhere to know about our church family because we are living personally committed lives, because we are unified in the Spirit of God, and because we're practicing discipleship in an amazing way. And if we make those things our focus, we are going to position ourselves in a place where God will reach down and bless us in ways we can never imagine. I can't promise you it's going to be by filling this room up. I don't know that, but I know the blessings will flow. And when the blessings flow, great things happen. And I know great things can happen for this church family. That's my words of encouragement to you this morning. The most powerful words of encouragement came from Jesus himself. If you believe in me and are baptized, you will be saved. You know, baptism is one of those things in our society that has created a lot of division in the church environment. Paul says baptism is to be that thing that unifies us. It unifies us to God, to Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and to each other along with washing our sins away and putting us in, our, in a fellowship with the Savior that saves our souls. This morning, if you've not been unified in, with God in that way, I challenge you to accept His invitation this morning as we stand and as we sing. There is a God. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m., with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.